Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Stone Table. My name is Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And I'm Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator at Baylife as well. And this is the first episode in a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've kind of been trying to get back in the swing of things yes. and get back in the rhythm. Yes. It's good to be back. We're very excited about the episodes that are going to be coming out. And it took us a little while um, in the past couple of weeks to sort of set just a more of a regular routine for ourselves. But now we, we've kind of got something set yeah. up and we've got some exciting things coming up. I'm excited for a lot of the interviews that we have lined up in the coming weeks. Yes. There's going to be some great conversations. And up first is our discussion about discipleship with our friend Pete Stewart. Pete Stewart. Yes. This is my first time getting to interview Pete. He's been on the show before, right, Travis? He he has. Yeah. Back in the early, early episodes when we were first figuring out how to do the <laughs> podcast thing, I had a conversation with Pete about church planting. So we get into a little bit of Pete's background in this episode. Yeah. But if you want sort of a full biography of the legend that is Pete Stewart, <laughs> uh, then you'll want to go back and listen to that early episode. Right. So today we're going to be talking to Pete about discipleship and what that looks like in his context in this very period of time for him in Glasgow, Scotland. Right. Yeah. Pete is a church planter, as you've said, in Mm -hmm. Glasgow, Scotland, and like the rest of the world is kind of going through this season of being isolated from people. And so we talk about discipleship in general, and then we talk about how his church and his context is doing discipleship in the midst of this particular season. So it's a great conversation. Pete is a great friend, and I'm so excited to have him back on the show and for you to be able to talk to him as well. Yes, I'm very excited. So with that being said, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. And this is my first time getting to interview you because you've been on the show before. This is true. Yeah. Yes. And so we usually start off with a very, very important question. And we tailor it. Normally, we tailor it depending on how well we know a person or what you know, we think they might be interested in. So my first question to you, it's very, very, very important. So you can't disappoint okay. me and you can't disappoint Travis. He, Travis is obsessed with Iron Brew. And I need to know if he's telling me the truth when he says that it is the best UK soda. Well, first off, if you told some people it was a UK soda, that would not go down well where I'm coming from because Pete Bell particularly would say it's Scottish and also soda is not what it is. It's clearly called... He told me it was called soda. What What, is what it? do you call it? I don't know, like... I don't even know. Fizzy juice? I've never it soda. <laughs> that's that's yeah. so much harder to say than just soda. Yeah, so it is. That's way more syllables. It's inefficient. Your face is harder to say, Travis. <laughs> anyway, um, what the, I don't even know what the question was. Oh, yeah, so actually, Travis is lying right out because Iron Brew is rank disgusting. <sighs> I agree. Okay, I dislike it very much. What? It, I think Scottish people tend to like it. I'm not from Scotland. I'm from the best wee country in the world, Northern Ireland. That's right. And so, um, so maybe that's why I don't like it. A lot of Americans probably like it because they all think they're Scottish. Or I like don't. Andy's brand <laughs> from 10 years ago has been there or something. So... Um, but no, Iron Brew is disgusting, I can tell you, as a fact. That's Thank you. Thank you. So you all will be fast friends, and I yes. feel like there's a rift opening up between you and I. Which is a shame, because Travis, you've been my biggest fan for the last three or four years. I've I've been a huge fan it's of... It's true. He speaks very highly of you. It's true. Yeah, and I just want you to know that I actually still have a can of Iron Brew that I've kept wow. from the last time it's I was over. It's in our fridge. And I was going to save it for a special occasion. I would have used it on the day I got married, but I lost it, and then I refound yeah. it when we moved. So. Yeah, we found it when we moved a couple weeks ago, and I said, can we throw this away? 
away and he was like no we have to save it yeah so absolutely. it is now sitting on our in our fridge uh, i've actually still got a picture of you beside my bed so that's how i remember you guys but... wow that's beautiful no, wait, that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um so you you mentioned this pete and we kind of talked about this in the last podcast that we did together but for those who haven't heard that one you're you're planting a church in Scotland by way of Ireland. So, how did you make that transition from? How did you make that transition from Ireland to Glasgow? So, yeah, born in Northern Ireland. Some of my family would not be happy calling it Ireland. Others, not so much. But yeah, born in Northern Ireland, and yeah, really kind of crazy story how it all came about. Basically, mum and dad divorced. Mum remarried a guy, and his family had up sticks and moved to Scotland, and so we when they remarried, moved to Scotland to try and rekindle a relationship there. So I was, I think, eight, just about to turn nine, and moved over from Northern Ireland to Scotland, and I've been here, so there for most of my life. So you probably can't tell from America, but my accent's pretty messed up. Um, Scottish people probably think I sound from Northern Ireland, and Northern Irish people think I'm from Scotland, and people can't really work out the difference. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if your, if your accent was kind of a hodgepodge or... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the more I spend with my family in Northern Ireland, the more I sound like out there. I'm from Northern Ireland, so I am. And then when we're in Scotland, I'm like, oh, "How's it going? Oh, I am from Glasgow." <laughs> right. There's a there's a lady in our office named Sharon who is from I think London, and mm. to to everybody in the office, she has this really cool English accent, but to all her family, she sounds like an American. Yeah, we we can't tell, but oh, it's like if you guys know Alistair Big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like I was a big legend from Glasgow, but you we listen to him now and he's got this tall American twang, whereas everyone's like, Oh, Alistair Big, he's got this great Glasgow accent. <laughs> it's not Glaswegian, that's for sure. He he doesn't he doesn't sound like some of the stuff I've heard when I've been over there. Um, so you are uh, planting in, in an organization called 20 Schemes, uh, particularly in a scheme within Glasgow. And again, this is we're kind of retrotting some stuff that we've talked about before, but it'll just be helpful for our context. So people hear scheme and they think yeah. plan. What, what, can you explain to our listeners who maybe don't haven't heard that word before? What is a scheme? Because I know Travis had to explain it to me a little while ago. Yeah, like a bunch of Americans have told us we should like rename our organization because, you know, 20 schemes just doesn't make sense. But I just find that really patronizing because we call them schemes. So we're going to call them schemes. There you go. Um, so basically, um, yeah, so basically it would be, I guess, a, a kind of government housing project is how you might describe it. So there'd be little communities, okay, usually between maybe two and 10,000 people that would traditionally have been the kind of government social housing and where the so the kind of working class would have been moved and, and put into social housing. So it would again traditionally have been a lot of kind of working class trades that you call them blue collar workers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would call them? Yeah. Um, and it would, they would have lived in the city centres and then they kind of got dispersed further out from the city centres to these little new communities that got sent up and um, started up, sorry. And then as the years went on, the kind of problems came with that. There was stereotypically a lot more kind of addiction issues kind of abuse and that kind of issues would kind of be in the because there would be the lower income communities of scotland mm-hmm. and the scottish government class them as the as deprived communities and we kind of get a wee bit bothered about that people right here don't feel poor because they're not in many ways there's a great sense of community really loving mm. really kind we do anything for each other like a lot of our i guess more middle class churches could learn a lot from people in our community about what it is to actually just live life together but there the stats are also that there is a lot more unemployment low income and a lot of challenges that come with that as well yeah. so yeah 
Yeah, and then it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things I wanted to ask you as a church and as the 20 Schemes organization, I've noticed from what I've seen online and from when we had uh, Shaba and Emily come to uh, the U.S., was it last year? I think it was in July. Yeah, it was last summer they came and they explained a lot about 20 Schemes and what you guys are about and they touched on a lot of discipleship and the importance and the significance that that just plays in the role of 20 schemes. And so I wanted to ask, what are some of the things that are specific to your context and where you are right now? Because discipleship can look a a few different ways depending on where you're at, the sort of context you're in. And so we just wanted to ask, what are some things that are specific to your schemes? Like you said, it's it's a lot of low-income families, a lot of alcoholism, Mm -hmm. a lot of things um, that maybe we're not used to here or things that just look different in different areas of the world. Yeah, like I guess like so. I'm a middle class guy. Like what most churches that I would be from think about discipleship. If they think about it at all, a lot of them wouldn't think about it at all. But would think about it kind of in terms of community groups and mm-hmm. like let's gather once a week and have discipleship together. Um, and I think that's good. And I think that works well in different contexts. Um, especially when you've got busy lives and you're kind of living this transient life. You go to church here and gym over there and work here, and you're all kind of all over the joint. In our communities, people live their lives within often a square mile, pretty much for at least 90% of the week. They might maybe go out to work and, and come back, or they might go to the shop and sit down there and back, but most of their significant relationships, even their family, are within a mile of each other in, in many circumstances. And so that means that we do less of the kind of formal let's force a gathering together and more of the kind of informal you know, let's live life alongside each other let's pop into each other's houses let's have people over for dinner let's like we see each other at the shops we see each other like walking about the way back from work and so um, there is a kind of more sense of community I guess you could say right. um, where that comes from which is really helpful but actually I've just been reading the book with the elder guys in our church called Discipling I'll show you, you can't see it on the podcast but yeah good book Nice and blue. I just said that. I just said that, Travis. So you don't need to repeat me, okay? Well, just you, let me speak. Listen, you're five hours ahead. So if I said what you just said, then somehow I just read the future. Ooh, so time travel. Wow, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's the most intelligent thing you ever said. <laughs> so basically, we I guess what we could fall into the trap of because there's a lot of informal life stuff happening, we miss that intentionality of actually speaking about Jesus and trying to do what Mark Dever calls in that book intentional spiritual good to people. Mm. Um, and so we kind of set up um, what we call one to ones, which is revolutionary. Basically, it's one to one. So yes. we would have someone that they would meet, and it could be a accountability to hopefully read some of the bible together but basically we're just trying to get to share life and just talk through and apply the gospel to each aspect of our life each kind of relationship of our life and we want what happens on sunday mornings so that when we come together and gather to hear the word of god we want that to filter and like resonate through the rest of the relationships in our church throughout the week and so the intentionality one the ones helps us with that and that is really important it's kind of key to what we do where should i um there's a great quote in this book that I can't remember that basically had a point of a church that doesn't do this is in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with that. And particularly in our community. So if we see people come out and come to know Jesus out of an addiction background, if we do the typical church thing of saying, right, that's great. Well, if you can come be Sunday morning, maybe Sunday evening, there's a prayer meeting midweek, 
then you'll be fine. But that's just not going to cut it from someone whose whole life is revolved around a group of people and relationships that are all caught up in addiction and drugs right. and all that kind of stuff. We need to be more. We need to be a new family for these guys. And the church, I think, is always, I mean, through Acts, we're always meant to be a new family. Mm-hmm. But I think we've lost some of that in our culture because it's easy just to be a consumer and we do mm. our church thing for ourselves on a Sunday, maybe a community group, but the rest of our lives are kind of off bounds. And so we want to be just intentionally open our lives up and bring in particularly new believers, but just each other in their life and live intentionally alongside each other, point each other to Jesus. Yeah. So I, I guess awesome. that kind of raises a, a question for, well, maybe not even a question, more of just a, a thought, which is a, a lot of discipleship is showing people how to live in light of the gospel and, and what... Right what ways the gospel reorients your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your employer. And it seems like kind of the way that a lot of middle-class churches would do it, which is you can come hang out once a week that, that keeps people from actually having the ability to see in the lives of a more mature Christian, the way that the gospel affects those things. Whereas kind of the casual run in at the shop or having somebody over into your home, it, it almost gives a better opportunity for discipleship because you can say, Hey, look at how, Right. It's almost the for Paul sure. thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah, for sure. And it becomes. And I don't get wrong. I think you need you need both of them, right? But I think where we are, try as churches, kind of big picture globally, try to get mm-hmm. a wee bit better discipleship. We probably are getting better at the intentionality. Let's meet and discuss something inside of it. But I do think those need to go together. And I just think of right. some of the guys that we've been we've brought through, and they will probably say they've learned way more by just being around our families at dinner time, seeing us play football with the kids in the park, put our kids to bed, deal with stresses, and. Um, they would probably learn as much, if not more, from those occasions than they would from formal meetings. And so what we would tend to encourage people to do is, like, if whatever you're doing, how can you pull someone into that? So, mm-hmm. like, especially when we've got guys struggling around this, like, if you're going to the shops, take someone with you to the shops. Like, yeah. if you're going to the gym, can you take someone to the gym? Like, I would go to football matches. Can I bring someone along with me? And um, often when I would speak at other churches, I would very rarely go alone. Like, I would just mm-hmm. bring someone along with me as well. So how can we roll people into our lives and again we've got a young family a bunch of young families about and that's a really easy way to do that like because it's a lot easier to parent when you've got more adults and more kids just with mental sure, yeah. So right yeah how can we how can we bring people alongside us provide a place sure for intentional conversations to happen but also just to see how does the gospel affect us in every little aspect and every point of our life and again for me as a pastor like it's really easy to talk a good game isn't it from the front mm-hmm. and pretend like you've got it together whereas when they see me losing it with my kids and having to repent <laughs> yeah. to them um, that's I'm sure going to teach them more love what you said about inviting people alongside your life because hospitality, I feel like is one of the things that uh, your community draws from, whether it's in your home or inviting people to come alongside you out in the world. And I think that that just paints a beautiful picture of the gospel and what it does in our relation to the entire world. And I think it is such a great form of discipleship when we can invite people to not just hear, listen to everything we're saying, but have everyone come alongside us and just see every little piece of our lives that the gospel affects, which it should. And I know Travis has told me the stories about when he stayed with your family over there in Glasgow, and and it just seems like hospitality is a really, really big thing, and it's such an effective form of discipleship. 
And the, the many times I fell down your stairs as well <laughs> yeah. when I stayed with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess for us, like, it's encouraging to hear you guys talk about that. Like, we would kind of see a lot of that as just normal life. Like, yeah. we've, that's been modeled really well by the guys at 20 Schemes. Like, a lot of the guys have got people living with them. Um, just as just a normal part of life, just to, whether that's someone just who needs a bit of support and help and showing us up. I've had someone from America that's come with the minister, like we just often have folk living, we often have folk about. Um, and yeah, I think it's because it is, like, that's what Jesus did, didn't he? Like, mm-hmm. these yeah. 12 guys who just lived life alongside him, he did three guys that maybe spent a wee bit more time and yeah. more intentionality with. But I guess that's what I think we missed the point when we reduced church to like programs mm-hmm. and like. And we, the aims of church, like even evangelism and discipleship stuff to our program and then tick that box. And then we have got, you know, the rest of a 40 hour week to do what we want. And um, it needs to be way more than that. And it's way more effective as well like, to mm-hmm. see the gospel take root because the gospel isn't, again, just a com- compartmentalized thing. Like, right. Here's your gospel compartment. It affects everything. People need to see that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And for us, as we've kind of built our new home, that's been the hope for us too, is that this can be a place where we can invite others, where people just sense the Holy Spirit here and that we can we can be a, a family that is hospitable to others and that we could show people the gospel through the way that we live and the way that we mm. just orient our home too. So that's been a, a really big topic for us lately. Which is good because there's no way Travis would be that welcome himself. So it's helpful <laughs> that you're there. <laughs> so you, you mentioned like it's it's not it shouldn't be an uncommon thing, but I do think it's an uncommon thing. I think most Christians are, are perfectly happy to have compartments where mm-hmm. uh, they'll let people into the compartment, but not into their whole life. And gosh, that's just so far from the new Testament. Like the, mm. the way that Paul talks about, you know, sharing the, not only the gospel, but his lives with the, I think it's the church in mm. Thessalonica. I mean, mm. that hospitality element of discipleship seems to be lost on a lot of people, even though it is so foundational to doing healthy discipleship. Yeah, and that's why why we're really good at it, isn't it? Just like presenting well and having so much stuff going on in the background that was never gets dealt with. And I think that's what people find hardest about our church because we're such a small church and a small community, and we're in each other's lives a lot. It means our like mess comes to the surface a lot more than you would be you would think in a lot of churches. And so there's a lot. It sounds great, doesn't it? Oh, we're all discipleship and hospitality, but what that often is is a lot of people sitting against each other a lot and causing <laughs> yeah. a big bunch of problems. And usually I'm at the front. Of that so yeah. it is hard in real life it's good it brings up conflict and we see each other at our worst mm. but that's where the gospel truly takes root and if we are the people of god if the holy spirit is at work in our lives then that's what we're going to see be resolved in just different ways that if you didn't have jesus there in the room right it wouldn't happen so, right yeah. So one of the things that I, I've really liked about my time with 20 schemes and appreciated about the way that you all do discipleship is that it's I guess it's in, intensely theological, yeah. but it doesn't lose the practicality. I feel like in many like in many ways erred in some of my discipleship and that I'm so focused on sort of cramming theology into someone mm. that that I, I ultimately they asked me, so what do I do with this? And I'm like, I don't know, but don't you think that's cool what you just learned? Like, isn't that neat? <laughs> and, and so so I guess I'm just curious, how do you balance that of training people theologically, but also making sure that they don't become these kind of academic do brains, nothing, on a stick. brains on a stick kind of do nothing Christians. Uh, yeah. uh, again, I would be saying both of those are problems. There's ditches on either side there, isn't there? Like right. you can, some of us are more tempted just to pour theology in 
which is not a helpful thing. But a lot of time when you talk about discipleship, there's also the other ditch of we just gotta live life alongside each other and do like loads of nice fun Jesus stuff. And actually the truth of the gospel and the hard things of the Bible are never discussed either. So like my first I was reading somewhere recently, find out what ditch you're more likely to fall into mm. um, and then try and push the opposite direction. Um so yeah, so we definitely both it, and it happens in different ways, isn't it? So that's where our one to ones are maybe a bit more intentional of the kind of let's read the Bible, let's think about some stuff and the more informal life side of it is more of the kind of like, let's just live life alongside each other. Um, but I guess that's where it, for us it is a church culture thing. And again, we're just reading this book. I'm, I'm often good at talking a good game and then people come to our church and think, wow, your church is rubbish compared to what you say. It's like, <laughs> so I know we're not getting anywhere as good at this as we should, but it, it for me, it is a culture thing. And it's decidedly, basically, I think the churches get one job, that we teach the Bible, we share the gospel. And the two ways we're called to do that is one, to unbelievers, and two, to believers to each other. Mm. And that's all we do. That's our life. That's our mission. And the problem is when we make discipleship a small compartment of our life or our mission as a church, and not pretty much the only job we've got, then it, it becomes easier to oh, I'll just go to poor theology in here, or I'm just going to do this wee group here, and that's be sorted. Whereas if we know that, no, our church exists so that people can grow in knowledge and love of Jesus, whether they know him or whether they need to know him, then it, it makes it a lot, I think, harder to compartmentalise that. And it makes every, it brings everything under that banner. So if we're going to do a midnight, a midnight Bible study, it pulls that under the discipleship banner. Or if we're going to do a quiz night, like we're locked down, we're doing quizzes every Thursday night, which has been great, but it oh, pulls wow. that under a banner. Right. Like of we're still living life together trying to put it on Jesus or if we're doing a film night like Pete and Kara do a film night every Friday night and it pulls that under that banner as well so like basically I think the church is here so our statement is we want to make Jesus known which means we want people who already know Jesus to grow in knowledge and we want people who don't know him to come to know him and therefore grow in knowledge so it, I guess having that as the mission of the church is having that clear your head hopefully pushes against some of the corporatization that that we're tempted to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's good too, because it, it helps to say, okay, this theological training that I'm doing in maybe a Sunday school class, like that's part of the discipleship, but so right. is the, <laughs> so is the rebuke and the accountability that's coming over coffee on a, on a yeah. Tuesday. Right. And, and then so is the and preaching. And so is like the surfing and the kids ministry or yeah, or the preaching, or the preaching, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. They go hand in hand and they should. Right. They should go together. Right. So one of the things that we wanted to ask since we are talking about discipleship and how living alongside one another is an effective form of that in the recent uh, couple months where things have had to shift, right? Because of Mm. the COVID-19 and things have been just looking way different for us, I know, and I'm sure for you guys as well over there. So what are some ways that your discipleship has had to shift over there? What are some things that you you're having to do differently? Yeah, I get, it's been, I think particularly hard for us because because our weeks consist of lots of little interactions with each other, mm. um, and that is the again the ministry of the church. That's where we try and just seek the gospel. Like, all of that has been taken away in many ways. So yes, we're trying. We do like a a church Sunday evening Zoom call now where we get together and talk about stuff. We do a mid a Wednesday night meeting. We've never done like every week we have this meeting but we do that during lockdown yeah. to try and foster some of that community but it's just not the same because it it makes it into the community group or makes it into this kind of formal thing which is great and be really helpful to your own but i think it just emphasizes that what we really miss is like we've had no one around our house for dinner now for mm. eight weeks and that has never happened in all <laughs> the time we've had this house 
Um, and that's what I miss the most. And so I'm, yeah. and so yeah, just knowing that and, and kind of feeling the weight of that. Um, in terms of the discipleship, so again, some of the things we're trying to do is just still foster connections. Mm. So the women are doing like a, a Tuesday night thing where they try and get together. They go through a general concern just now, which has been good. Um, on Wednesday nights, we've got a church prayer meeting where we try and share a little bit of how we're at. That's been thinking that's something that's really good. Or probably we've been even more open with each other than we've seen before, mm. just because we've, we're all struggling. And so, and so that's been helpful. And then Thursday night, one of the other elders in training has been doing a quiz, which has been nice to just kind of bring some of that life, so cool. life alongside each other as well. Because yeah. um, again, because yeah. what we're saying is more than just the formality; it's more than just the teaching. It's both. And so, and so, yeah, that's been good. But definitely, it's hard that it. Um, I think it makes me again refocused on okay what we can't do that is what we should be doing <laughs> like, right and that's, yeah. so it kind of makes me want to refocus on that and not get so busy with church with everything else we could get busy with like when we're allowed to meet again then i want to focus on those little conversations those little, having people around in my house right and yeah, and, and kind of yeah I mean, I feel like we've we've experienced that as well. Just um, in moving into a, a house in the midst of all this, uh, the thing that we both have wanted so bad is just to have people over and just you know catch yeah. up on life and invite people into our home and and talk the to them. people. Yeah, and and I mean, extend that hospitality. Right. And then to know that we can't do it, and that I mean, we talk on Zoom because you live two thousand miles away, but <laughs> to talk to people down the road on Zoom because we can't all physically be in the same places. It almost just reminds you what a gift physical presence is and yeah. how oh, necessary definitely. it is. Definitely. So I, I guess it would be easy to to kind of end all this on a down note because so much of discipleship is is inhibited by where we're at in this current social distancing and quarantine phase. But I guess I'd just be curious, what are what are some encouraging signs you're seeing among your people or even just with the broader 20 schemes community? What are some ways that you're seeing God work even in the midst of all this? Yeah, I think what I said there is one of my biggest encouragements is just how open and honest people have been, um, and 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 they know like so many different people. One of the things I've tried to do, because my role as a pastor, has been to every day take an hour in the morning to contact five of our members or five of our families for prayer points and then pray for the whole church every day. And I, that's what I've always wanted to do. Never had a chance really to do until lockdown, so that's been good. And people have been always getting in touch, always be open and honest about where they're at with the Lord. And so I've been able to point people to Jesus probably more so than I've been able to do for a long time, just through yeah. this time, which is which is really helpful. I'm, I'm glad for that. People are aware of their need for each other. Like the amount of people that told me they miss church more, way more than they ever thought they would. Mm. I'm encouraged by that. Like yeah. I'm hoping that when we get back, like that we're not going to be so blasé about missing church, like because we know what that is. We know how much right. we need this. Um, and also like, it is just a, such a massively like fertile ground for the gospel right now. Yeah. Like people all over themselves are bricking it. Like they're fearful. They don't want to die. They don't know what to believe. They, their life is just turned upside down. And that is where the gospel takes root, isn't it? That's where we need Jesus. That's where only having Jesus gives us an anchor, gives us a rock to stand on. And so we are just praying and trying to take, advantage of that any way we can and we're not finding great ways to do that we're, that's probably you could pray for us like how do we do that better but i'm encouraged that you know the lord is doing something with this he's mm. sovereign over it um and we are seeing this better conversation with people and we're just praying that we could really use then the point of the jesus and that we can see long term from that too so absolutely absolutely 
Uh, well, Pete, thank you so much for taking some time. I know it's much later on your side of the world. Uh, so thanks for taking some time out of your evening to sit down and talk with us and uh, spend some time having a conversation. Yes. Thank you so much for having tuned into this episode of The Stone Table. We were so excited to get the chance to sit down with our friend Pete, and we hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you found this episode to be helpful, please be sure to rate and subscribe. It helps to get the word out. For Baylife Church, I'm Mickey, and this is The Stone Table. Mm-hmm.